If you haven't met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you, um, especially if it's your first time among us. Now, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be carrying on our Easter sermon series as we journey from Christmas to the cross. We're looking at the phrases or words spoken by Jesus uh, from the cross just before his death. And these are recorded by the gospel writers uh, in our Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. There are seven in total and we're just going to work our way through them uh, one by one. Um, the seven words are just a reminder. There's Father, forgive them. Uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, I thirst. It is finished. And then into your hands I commit my spirit. And these words are hugely significant for us as believers, as the Church of Jesus Christ, because they they sum up uh, kind of uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, what he came here to do and what his death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection has achieved for us as church and is offered to all uh, mankind. And so we're going to be looking at them, working our way through them and trying to understand more of the heart of God uh, through this, for more what the death on the Jesus' death on the cross means for us, uh, find out what's important to God in this process that we in turn can be built up and encouraged and learned through this. Um, and as we approach Good Friday, remembering Jesus' death and Easter Sunday, uh, remembering his resurrection, we're going to meditate on these words and hopefully again be in awe of our God uh, on what he did on that day and what he put for us. So last week uh, we did the first word from the cross, which was Father, forgive them. Uh, they know not what they do. And we learn about Jesus' heart to forgive and his role in interceding on our behalf. Interceding just means to stand the gap on our behalf before the Father. And we found out that we can be forgiven. Uh, we can stand righteous before a holy God, all because of what Jesus has done. Now, if you missed that, you can go to our website, findreallife.co.uk, and you can click on the sermons thing, and that will be there if you want to catch up on that. You can have a listen to that. If you've subscribed to our podcast thing, it should come through automatically, um, but that's there for you if you miss week one, just to have a catch up to where we are now. So before we just uh, read the text, a little bit of context. Obviously, we're in uh, Jesus' final week of his life. Um, we've had Palm Sunday, where Jesus rode into don uh, donkey into Jerusalem, and the crowds were there, and they kind of praised him. And then we've had him cleansing the temple and his opposition from uh, the religious leaders and their plot to kill him. We've had the Lord's Supper, we've had his betrayal by Judas, his arrest by the authorities, his followers, disciples who fled him. We've had Peter has denied him. He's been tried by Herod and Pontius Pilate. He was found guilty, innocent, yet has been condemned as guilty. Uh, been sentenced to death. He's been beaten, flogged and led out and he's now being crucified on the cross. And crucifixion itself is this hideous form of punishment that was invented by the Persians, but perfected by the Romans, was used by a weapon of terror throughout their empire. Um, it was considered one of the worst possible forms of execution ever de devised by man. Um, it was so horrific and painful that a new word was invented to describe it excruciating out of the cross that means um, and it wasn't just a physical suffering there was an emotional suffering because the person who who was crucified was uh, crucified in a public area so everyone got to see it they were stripped naked they were hoisted up for everyone to see it people hurled abuse at them it was all horrific uh, and shameful and a humiliating act and the victim that one dying took hours and hours sometimes even days to die just to prolong um, the suffering that they had so in that context of horror 
and pain, um, Jesus is speaking these words. And I'm just going to read a few more verses from Luke. If you found Luke chapter 23, I'm going to read from verse 39. So we're basically picking up from what we did uh, last week where we looked at the first words. And it says this, verse 39, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, here's our second word. Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. So this second word that Jesus speaks uh, revolves around an interaction with the two criminals who are hanging on the crosses either side of Jesus. If you just skip back a few verses, verses 32 and 33, you'll see that they, they were kind of introduced by Luke, the author, and saying there's these two guys who were being crucified with Jesus, but then it's gone away from them. now it's come back to them in the story. And Jesus' word, this second word, is a response to what the criminals say to Jesus. It's a response to what they say to him. So they interact with him, with him and he is responding to him. And these two criminals who are hanging either side of him on the cross have some similarities and differences. The first one is their similarities. Both of them are guilty men. Uh, they would have committed uh, terrible crimes to have been uh, guilty or deserve the punishment that they were facing. So these guys were not nice guys. They would have done horrible things. It would have been murder or some form of terrorism or something really bad. And so they were both in the same boat. And as a result, they were both being punished by the authorities and had been sentenced to death. However, there was one great difference between them. And as we they interact with Jesus, you see this. This is that the way they respond to Jesus was poles apart. The first criminal and the second criminal um, had completely different responses to the same situation. And what we're going to do, we're just going to go through those verses. And I want to look at the words of the first criminal, the words of the second criminal, and then the words of Jesus and his response to them. And then we'll look at what we've learned from this and what we can do through this. So the first criminal, it says this in verse 39. He, uh, he was hanging there with him and he railed at Jesus and said to him, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So this criminal is going through the same ordeal as Jesus. He is emotionally and physically suffering in the most extreme um, way imaginable. He's being shamed, he's being humiliated, and he ultimately he is being killed uh, and dying. So he is an incredible, unimaginable pain and suffering. And in that context, in that situation, uh, Luke says he railed at Jesus. He hurled insults at Jesus. He was swearing and cursing at Jesus. He was, the, 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 the situation had brought out that in his character, in his heart. And he basically starts yelling accusations at Jesus, the man next to him, who is also dying as well. And he says to him, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. He is taunting and mocking Jesus. You said you were the Christ. Well, well come on then, do something about it. Show us what you mean by that show us prove it prove it 
that you're the Christ by saving yourself, by coming down on the cross, by vanquishing your enemies, the Romans who would have been there. Um, save me as well. If, uh, if you're that person, I'm a Jew like you. Why don't we get saved um, together? But this criminal makes a number of errors in his words. He's taunting Jesus. And Luke's records, this is actually the third person uh, who's been going against Jesus. Last week, we looked at the rulers. And we look to the soldiers who are mocking him and this criminal just joins them. He's just another one hurling insults at Jesus, even though he's in the same boat. He doesn't realize um, that actually the one hanging next to him is the instrument of God's salvation. He's the one who's actually going to save him. Ultimately, he's the one who's going to offer salvation to people there. And he just doesn't see it. He assumes Jesus is guilty when, in fact, he's totally innocent and he fails to recognize that through Jesus death on the cross is what's going to bring salvation he assumes that Jesus isn't the Christ because he can't come down from the cross and through some sort of force of arms come and uh, kill all his enemies destroy the Romans kick them out of the area and there would be a victorious uh, Israel there he's totally missed who Jesus is and what he came to do. And in his response, he is just he has set himself in anger towards God and his purposes. And his pain has blinded him to that. His own sin and rebellion has has put him in a point where he just can't see the truth. And it results in an anger and a pride towards God and what he's doing in the form of Christ on the cross right next to him. So he is his response to the situation is just anger and enmity towards God. And then we get the words of the second criminal in the next couple of verses. He then he starts by rebuking the first criminal. He basically says, do you not fear God since you're under the same uh, sentence of condemnation? The language used there, Luke uses earlier in the gospel, and it's the same language Jesus used when he comes against demonic forces and he just rebukes them and tells them to be quiet or tells them to leave. So it's a very forceful statement. And so this thief dying on the cross in the same situation is rebuking the first guy saying, what are you doing? Why are you acting like this? This is a, we are under right judgment and punishment uh, for all that we've done. Why are you hurling insults at somebody else? You should be you should be quiet. You are you are guilty of sin uh, and you should you are being punished for that sin. And that should lead to some sort of humility, some sort of silence, some sort of actually don't you get it? You're being punished rightly for what you're doing. So he, he tells him off. He tells him off. And then he then the second criminal, actually, he admits his own guilt. He says, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. He sees what's happening. And actually, he recognizes actually what's happening to me today. I deserve. I deserve this. I deserve what, what's happened. He knows his his uh, compatriot, the one who also is being executed as well. He deserves it. He knows what you've done. He, he knows how bad it was. You should be guilty of what it is and he is aware of his own sin he's aware of what he's done he's also aware of what he's done in light of Christ who's next to him he is facing the right punishment for his sin and he sees interesting he sees Jesus innocence he says this man has done nothing wrong this man has done nothing wrong so he knows he's guilty he knows he's done something Luke doesn't tell us what it is we can just assume something really bad to be in that position but he knows the man next to him Jesus is completely innocent and as well as Luke has put in three 
individuals who have mocked and taunted Jesus in the form of the rulers and uh, the soldiers and the criminal, the first criminal. Luke has also put in his, his um, narrative here three people who've recognized Jesus' innocence. The first one was Pontius Pilate in the trial. He said, I find no guilt in this man. The second one was King Herod, also at Jesus' trial. Actually, this guy's innocent. And the third was the criminal hanging on the cross. They all recognize that Jesus is an innocent man. Unlike the two criminals, they're suffering and dying and suffering the consequences of their actions and they're being punished rightly under the, the legal system. Jesus is completely innocent. He's completely innocent. And actually, he shouldn't be being punished because he's done nothing wrong. And the criminal sees that. And then he says in the fourth part, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He asks for mercy. He asks for mercy. And he addresses Jesus. And it's interesting what he says. He sa he, first of all, he says he uses his name. It's a personal um, it's a personal name. He's speaking directly to someone. He says, Jesus, no one else, not a generic kind of God call on some higher power to come and do something to save me. Not just crying out to the universe to make this right. He addresses an individual and only one individual. And it's the person who's nailed next to him. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He cries out. For salvation he knows he's guilty he knows what he's happening to him he's right he recognizes jesus innocence and he cries out for salvation that that phrase when you come into your kingdom it is a picture of um, god's rule and reign where god is ruling and reigning and everything has been made right and he is saying i want to be part of that and he recognizes that jesus is the king of that kingdom he recognizes that Jesus is the way he can get into that kingdom. Jesus is the way, is the kind of the entrance way, the doorway. If I, if I speak to Jesus, he will make sure I get into that kingdom. And that's what he wants. He recognizes that Jesus dying on the cross is part of what should be happening. He recognizes Jesus as the savior. And the fact that he's dying on the cross and not coming down in the face of insults is part of the plan, is what should be happening. But he knows that it's some sort of precursor. There's something more coming. Jesus is going to bring his kingdom in. This is merely a precursor to Jesus' ascension and enthronement where he will be king of kings and lord of lords. And this man sees it on the cross. He has eyes to see it, that actually Jesus' death is part of this, of bringing in his kingdom, of ushering people into that. And he addresses him and says, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, he knows it's coming. He knows Jesus is going to be the king of that kingdom. He knows Jesus is the one who's going to make a way. And he cries out to him for mercy. He cries out to him for salvation. And then we get to the final part, the words of Jesus, which is our second word of the cross. So in that context of on one side, someone is yelling at him and, and calling him names and swearing and cursing him and mocking him. And on the other side, there was someone just saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. And Jesus, in response, turns to the second criminal and he says this. He says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And there's a four-part response. Though. I just want to look at the four things kind of Jesus says and we'll go through them. The first one. He says, truly, I say to you, this is the literally, this is um, the word amen. 
uh, we say it you know, when we pray at the end, amen, it literally means truth. And when Jesus um, says that, what comes next is of utmost importance. Um, I read in one of the commentaries when I was preparing this that this phrase is used about 70 times throughout our Gospels, all four of them, and it's only ever used by Jesus. And so it's a, it's a formula he used. Sometimes he says it twice, truly, truly, I say to you. And if you go through your Gospels, maybe you do a search for it. But he's basically saying what comes next is really important. This is the truth I'm about to give you. This is something you need to be kind of listening extra hard to, extra carefully to, because this stuff is, is kind of what it's about. This is the dynamite. This is what I'm going to teach you. Uh, if you've got a Bible, underline that. Truly, I say to you, what, what's coming next is important. And there are three things that come next. Jesus talks about it being immediate, relational and lasting forever. And the first thing he says is, truly, I say to you, what's the next word? Today. Today. Jesus' response to a cry for mercy is immediate. It is instant. He's saying, yes, that prayer that you've prayed will get answered and it's going to get answered today. It's going to get answered right now in this present moment, not some far off kind of over there. Jesus is coming right into the situation. This man's cry for mercy, this man's cry for salvation will be answered right there, right then by Jesus. The second thing is it's relational. What does he say? He says, today you will be with me. You will be with me. This is a relational statement. It's first of all, Jesus it starts making it personal. He says, you, you, he's talking back to the man. The man's cried to him personally, Jesus and he's coming back and saying, you, I'm talking just to you right here, right now. There's only one person on Jesus' mind. And he must I imagine him turning, looking um, at the criminal next to him. And this word to be with me talks of togetherness. It talks of closeness. It talks of intimacy. It talks of communion. It talks of relationship. It talks of coming together and being kind of close to one another. And despite this criminal's past the evil deeds he would um, have committed that have got him to where he is now and there might have been a catalogue of them going back many years we don't know but there was something in his past that was bad this guy is having a close personal intimate relationship with God the son in that moment when he's near death in spite of all his past, he cries out to God for mercy. And Jesus says, today, you're going to be with me. And then he puts it in the end, the last thing, in paradise. And this is, again, another reference to Jesus' kingly rule, the idea of when God's kingdom come, uh, evil will be vanquished, evil will be gone, there'll be no more crying, suffering or tears, and there'll be the ruling and reigning of God and everything will be good and everything will be made right. And so Jesus is saying um, to this man that you are going to be with me in relationship with me and you'll be in my kingdom and it will last forever. Forever. This criminal made a simple plea from the most lowest point in his life where he was utterly uh, without hope uh, without anything going for him he cried out to God and this plea was answered straight away in a way that would have blown his mind Jesus offers salvation to this man right there and then 
because he asked for mercy. He saw who Jesus was. He, he realized who he was. He realized the situation. He realized his guilt and how hopeless he was and how helpless he was. He realized Jesus' innocence and what Jesus had come to do and where Jesus was going and what he was trying to do and bring about God's plan, uh, bringing God's kingdom about salvation. And he just cries out, remember me remember me Jesus and Jesus says yes I remember you and today you're going to be with me in paradise and so we have two criminals who are in the same situation who are both interacting with Jesus one rejects Jesus he and and as a result of that he will suffer the consequences that the other one sees who Jesus is and despite his suffering and despite his guilt and shame he finds salvation one chooses to hurl insults um, in the face of God and the other one sees that as an opportunity to cry for mercy and find salvation and even as Jesus himself is dying facing uh, all the pain and the humiliation that he is he is still responding graciously to those who come to him with humility he hears the cries of those who want salvation he hears the cries of those who call out to him saying, God, I need you. And he comes and he moves in power and transforms lives. So what can we learn from this second word? What can we learn and what can we do about it? Well, there's three things I'd love us just to note here that we can take away from learning from this situation. The first one is this. First one is this. No one is too far from Jesus. No one is too far from Jesus. The two criminals in this story are examples of the worst uh, of humanity. And they were both suffering the consequences of their action, the right consequences of their action. Uh, they had been found guilty by the legal system. They would have done horrific things and they were being punished for their sin. Yet even in that moment, they had the opportunity to cry out to Jesus and be heard and to have their prayer answered. They were both literally on death's door and they still have the opportunity to ask for mercy, to ask for salvation. And so no one is too far from Jesus. No one is outside the scope of his reach. No one is too far gone that Jesus cannot save. No one is too lost. No one is too broken. No one is too hurt. No one has done anything too bad that the grace and mercy of God cannot come and move in their life. Second thing, how you respond to Jesus is vital. How you respond to Jesus is vital. The only difference between these two criminals hanging either side of them is how they responded to Jesus. That's it. Luke gives us nothing else. They are both guilty men being punished for their crimes. And the only difference is how they respond in that. One was not better, smarter, wiser than the other. The only difference was how they dealt with their situation and how they dealt with Jesus. They were both unable to save themselves. They were both guilty. They were both suffering but only one cried out for help. And the question of how we respond to Jesus is the question that divides the human race. Because you either respond like the first criminal 
or you respond like the second criminal, there is no third choice. And the single most important question you will ever be asked and you will ever have to face is how are you going to respond to Jesus? You have to make a choice. We are like those criminals. We are all guilty. We've all done many evil things against the holy God. We all sit rightly under God's judgment as a result. And so the question then becomes, how are you going to respond to Jesus? Are you going to cry out for mercy? Or are you going to reject that and be angry at God and offend him or whatever? The third thing we can learn from this is you can have an eternal relationship with Jesus. You can have an eternal relationship with Jesus. The, she- the second word shows us clearly that anyone who comes humbly to Jesus can have a relationship with him. It does not matter what has gone before. It doesn't matter what's in your past. Jesus will respond with mercy when asked. Those who recognize their guilt, recognize where they stand before God, recognize what they've done wrong and still cry out for mercy will catch the ear of the Savior. You can have a relationship with God that starts right now and extends into eternity. Because we know the rest of the story, Jesus rose from death victorious. He ascended into heaven. He is enthroned at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning forever. And he will come back one day to judge all mankind and wrap this world up and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And we can have a relationship with him, with, with him that begins now and it stretches into eternity. So what can we do about this? What can we do about this? What can we do now, tonight, together as a church? How can we respond to this? Well, simply put, we need to make a choice about who Jesus is. We need to make a choice about who Jesus is. If you're not a believer on you on the call and you don't know Jesus for yourself, I want you to make that choice. The question is, which criminal do you want to be? Which criminal do you want to be? And I urge you, be the second one. Be the second criminal. Recognize that you have sinned before a holy God. That just means falling short. That means haven't lived up to God's perfect standard. God is a holy God. He is fully righteous, fully pure. And we know we've all failed in things we've thought and we've said and we've done. And also the things we haven't thought, said and done that we should have done. We know what the the stuff in our heart is. We know those things we've done wrong. And there there are two dangers to fall into here if you're not a believer. One of them is to think that you're too bad for God. What I've done is so horrible, so terrible, there's no way I could come to God. The other one is to think you're too good for God. And actually, I don't need saving. I've got it all sorted myself. The first one is like the criminal we see on the cross. The second one will be like the religious rulers we looked at last week. You think they're too good. They don't need God self-righteous but the reality is we all have to get to a place where we realize that we've fallen short of God for God's glory we've all failed and we need to cry and for him for mercy and the good news is when that happens the Lord rushes in to answer Jesus says today you're going to be with me in paradise you can know Jesus salvation right here right now today and then you can enjoy it for the rest of your life and into eternity this story is a is a reminder of the immediacy of god's salvation god's grace god's mercy god's forgiveness which we looked at last week that is available to us all so if you're not a believer here i'd love you to consider that i'd love you to pray i'd love you to cry out to god 
for his forgiveness, for his mercy. Say, God, save me. I recognize what I've done is wrong. Bring me into your kingdom that I may know you. I may follow you all the days of my life and then be with you forever after that. So if that's you, I'd love you to do that. What about if you're a believer, which is most of us um, on the call now? What does it mean for us? Well, the first thing is you've made that initial choice. You've... Uh, You've responded, you've cried out to God uh, for your forgiveness. You've been welcomed into your kingdom. That is fantastic news. Well done. You've acted like that second criminal, realize your guilt, realize your shame. You say, God, I need you. And this is something that we should celebrate. It's something that we should uh, give praise and glory to God. It's something that we should make a priority of singing his praise, shouting his praise, telling him how wonderful it is. That even though all those things have happened in our life, we can be saved, we can be forgiven, we can come into his kingdom, we can be set free from the things of the past. It's something we do when we sing together. We can do that in our own times. I even had songs on this morning, just praising God, singing songs I found kind of on the playlist. It was fantastic. We can read our Bibles and remind ourselves of the truth there that we've been accepted, we've been forgiven, we've been um, adopted, and we've been made holy. Uh, we have a future that's secure. We are loved beyond measure. This is wonderful. This is just an amazing thing. So as the people of God, we should be the most celebratory and thankful people there are because of what God has done. We were like that second criminal. And Jesus says, Truly I say to you today, you're going to be with me in paradise, that we've been caught up into that great um, cloud of witnesses that, that are celebrating what God has done. And that's us. We're part of that. We're part of that great people of God that span the earth and span the ages. And it's wonderful to be part of God's church. But I also want to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge you as believers. Because if we remember the first word we did last week, Jesus interceded on behalf of those around him and he brought them towards his father and said, forgive them. And then Jesus again is speaking to the criminal saying, actually, and, and speaking on his behalf and bringing him and saying, you're going to become part of my kingdom. And that, that criminal's life was transformed in the final hours and he knew Jesus for himself. And I want to challenge you. Are there people in your life that you've known, you know now, over the years that you have written off in terms of knowing God? Are there family members, friends, colleagues, people who you thought you prayed for at one point and thought, God, I want you to move in their life. I want you to do things. But actually now you'd think, do you know what? They're too far gone. They're, 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 they're on their last, they're in their last breath, figuratively speaking. They're, they're too far from you. They've done too many bad things. They've gone too far down a road away from you. They're, you invite them to Alpha once, you invite them to Alpha again. They just said no. And you're just like, they're not there. Are there people who've just done things and you just thought, can God even move into that situation? It's just too bad. There's too much gone wrong there. I just, God, how can you even intervene? Are we in danger of giving up on people when God hasn't? Are there people that we should be praying for and interceding for and bring to God that God would move in their life no matter how dark or far from him they've gone? Because I imagine there were people who did that to those criminals on the cross. They were just, they were gone. They were, couldn't, no one could save them. Yet God moved and saved, even in that horrific, dark situation. And so I want to challenge you now, if you've got um, a 
something to write on a phone that you can make notes in or a bit of paper you've been taking notes on or something to hand grab it now and i'd love to pray and i'm going to ask the holy spirit to come and i'm asking to put some people on our hearts that we can pray for that we can ask god to come and move in their life and that they, those people would cry out for mercy for God, just like that second criminal. And I want us to pray tonight for them that God would move in their life. And I'd love you out of this, maybe this week, just every day, just, just for a week, just start it, make it manageable, but to pray for those individuals, pray for those family members, pray for those people you've known over the years. You've almost kind of, just thought can God even move in their life now they're just they've rejected him they've gone away from him. they mock him or they're just indifferent to him or they've just they've done too many things that mean God couldn't move in their life and so let me just pray and if you know God's putting some people on your heart start jotting them down just start writing them down now Holy Spirit we pray you come now and you impress something on our hearts for people who are far from you, people who don't know you, people who aren't following you, people who are outside your kingdom. God, and we pray you would put them on our hearts for us that we would in turn bring them to you, Lord God. And so if you know there's some names, it might just be one name, it might be two or three, I, I don't know. But why don't you just jot them down? now just jot them down and then what i think we'll do is i will lead you and we can pray for them you know them you bring them before the heavenly father i don't know them um but you bring them before god and we'll just pray for god to move in their life again that they would be like that second criminal god would move them and they would see who jesus is they would see what his death and his resurrection means. They would recognize their own guilt before God and they would cry out to him for mercy. Now, very clear, it's not up to you to try and do something in their lives because <laughs> guess what? You can't. They might ask you a question. You might be able to respond, but ultimately it's God who saves. It's not you. So we can remove the guilt from us, but we can pray and cry out to God. So maybe you just get that bit of paper, whatever you've written on, look at the name, think about them. And I just think I'll lead you in a prayer. And you just name that individual before God and say, God, move in their life. God, save them. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. Thank you for your death on the cross and all it means to us. Thank you for your resurrection power that was displayed three days later that vindicated your death. Lord God, we thank you that through that, death your death we can have life we thank you that you've offered forgiveness lord and that you cry out for it for us lord god we thank you that we've received it lord we thank you for the mercy you showed to that criminal on the cross after all he'd done and you said to him today you're going to be with me in paradise lord we thank you for that lord we thank you that we are recipients of the same words that we enjoy the good of what you said lord jesus and we bring these people before you we bring them before you now god and we say save them lord god cause them to cry out to you like that criminal did cause them to look to you like that criminal did lord god cause them to see who you are 
as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as the one who died as the perfect sacrifice that we could be forgiven and go free. Lord God, see you as the one who brings them into your family, Lord God. Lord, we pray for them, God. We pray you'd save them, that they would know you like we do, Lord Jesus, and that they would have the privilege of being one of your children, being forgiven, having your mercy, having relationship with you, and looking forward to a future with you forever. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Just remember those people this week, stick them maybe somewhere where you can, a note on your, by your bed or where you clean your teeth or something where you'll see it uh, and pray for them this week. Amen. Love you guys. Uh, handing back to Jeremy now.